Welcome to the Way of the Lamb podcast, a resource of the Center for Christian Formation. For more information, go to christianform.org. Thank you for joining us for a conversation on power and the church. Well, hey, welcome back to the Way of the Lamb podcast. I'm Kyle Strobel here with my friend Jamin Goggin. Hey, everybody. I hope you're all well, and thank you for taking this this kind of journey with us as we've wrestled through these things. I hope it's leading to some conversations. You know, one of our hopes in this project has been to help the church talk about power. And, you know, I can honestly say I've written books where my hope is to convince people I'm right. <laughs> I'm an academic. We do these kind of things. Thank you, you know? for your confession. But yeah. <laughs> but honestly, with this book, it was really interesting because Jamie and I both felt like this is something, it felt like God just kind of did. Like we've looked back on this. Absolutely. And just were like, how did, how did that even happen? Like, how did we travel around and sit with J.I. Packer and sit with, you know, Dallas Willard and, you know, talk about these things? Like, we don't even remember it, it planning it. It just kind of, just kind of happened. It was yeah. amazing. And, but when it came out, it really became clear to me, it's not my job to convince people that our view of power is right. And so we want you to, to talk about that. We want you to wrestle with scripture. We want you to go back and read Andy Crouch's stuff, which we kind of criticized a bit last week because it's a profound account and he's a very faithful person. And so we hope this leads to further conversation and we hope this leads you to wrestling with these things. And, you know, part of our goal as well has been since we've written the book, you know, since people have read it and reflected back to us, we've just had these really interesting conversations with folks. And, you know, I mentioned one of them that I want to pick up uh, from last week. I mentioned a group of elders I met with and it was such an interesting conversation because I could tell that they had a very hard time putting me in the right bucket. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where where you don't fit neatly in the presupposed buckets they have for you. <laughs> um, but they kept on trying to kind of put me in what I would call worldly political categories. And I didn't fit neatly in any of them. It was very confusing for them. But the most astonishing part of the conversation was when they they told me that my view of power simply wouldn't work for the church today. And this is just to kind of add some context for Kyle's, I recall you sharing the story with me a couple of years ago. Yeah. This is a, a group that had read the book and gave yeah, the right. book and invited you and genuinely wanting to talk to you about it. That's right. Yeah. To right. their credit, you know, they were a bit mixed. So like half the group really liked it. The other half didn't. You know, there's a bit mixed. Sure. And they invited me out to talk about, which, you know, great. That was, there was something I think profoundly humble in that, them saying, I want, we want to kind of talk to you about, get your, get your view on these things. And, um, what was so interesting about it is the group of elders had hired a well known toxic leader to be their pastor. And I remember this very interesting point of the conversation I asked them. I said, well, why didn't you realize? That he was toxic. I mean, everyone knows this. This wasn't uh, this wasn't done in shadows. <laughs> this is very obvious. Prior church experiences, very well known, very very public, very. Right. And the response was, "Well, he was just such a great preacher." Hmm. And you know, it's interesting to think about how how many sins rhetorical ability can can cover in the church today. Hmm. And and it's easy to to point finger, fingers at the pastorate in this regard. Um, we could point fingers in, in lots of different areas. But notice that there's a specific view of what a powerful preacher is and what he does. Yeah. But then behind that, as we talked more, and they told me, like, look, I couldn't run my business this way. The church won't work this way. It was so interesting to see how, how they were assuming the only way to get things done was to live by sight and not by faith. To put it in really stark categories, the only way to get things done was to do things exactly like the world does. And so there was this assumption that worldly power is the only way to actually make things happen. Well, and this is a, a church, as I recall you sharing previously, you know, I had genuinely experienced, I think, what they would have called success for quite a few years prior to their history and yet we're experiencing some ebbs and flows in, right. in that degree of success and then how success often gets defined in church context number of people sure um, yeah yeah and, you know maybe number of salvations and baptisms and and but just maybe even just the prominence and um, sense of notoriety that's right in the community yeah. as, a, as a kind of a 
um, a flagship church. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I imagine some of that was there for them as well. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And in many ways, the the vision of power, because it was primarily power that that is visible, you can see it when you when you can recognize it. You can use worldly metrics to name it. Mm. That the ends ended up justifying the means, right? And so if you if you are growing, then you would justify the fact that well, okay, you know maybe we shouldn't have spent the money this way. Or okay, sure, maybe he's a toxic human being. Maybe he belittles the. Maybe he does these. But man, he's a great preacher, right? Like, mm. notice how on these sorts of things, and this is one of the things that has been so astonishing during the, doing this project. When people find out you're writing a book on power. Everyone starts telling you stories of toxic power that they've seen and experienced. In many ways, it's been overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I have noticed that have been really disconcerting is this point specifically, is that by and large uh, in the church, there's a lot of people who just presuppose worldly power is the only power there is. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they allow the ends to justify the means. The ends are good things, right? We want to reach the, the, the world for Jesus. And, you know, when we think about some of the things that have gone on, right? Like, let's take the, I'm not to pick on them because I think we can turn to almost anyone, but the, the Southern Baptist Convention and all that's gone on recently with them, you have two real issues, right? You have the sexual abuse issue. That's one issue of, of, of evil power at work, of evil kind of um, wielding itself throughout the church. But then you have the kind of cover up. And, you know, it's been interesting. Like, I, I've experienced this in a very small way. I remember I, um, Jamin mentioned last time, we, you know, your book comes out, you begin writing articles and doing these things. <laughs> um, I, I wrote an article about how we are called to be little Hoseas. So Jesus is the kind of second Hosea, right? He, he's the one who married the prostitute, the church, and he made her beautiful because, she, because he loved her. We're supposed to be little Jose's, right? We don't love the church because she's beautiful, because she has all her act together, because she's gotten rid of all her vices. Because, like, we love her because Christ has loved her. That's what makes her beautiful. And and so I, I wrote an article about this, and I kind of named like there's things we see that aren't beautiful, right? There's pastors abusing their power. There's cover-ups. There's all these things. And I, I submitted it to a group that will remain nameless. And um, it was it was rejected. Ultimately, by a pastor who said, pastors are picked on a little too much. Mm-hmm. And I think we we actually need more stories and more things written that, that are kind of bolstering, encouraging. And, and, but here's, here's what's interesting. Like, in one sense, I get it. Right. You're a pastor. Right. There's a lot of anti-pastoral sentiment out there. Sure. There's a lot. But as Christians, we are the ones who name the evil in the church. Right. We have to be. And so much of the cover-ups or so many of the stories of sexual abuse, you hear people trying to keep victims silent by saying what it will do to undermine their ministry and will undermine God's work. You know, once you allow the ends to justify the means, you fully embrace the wor- a worldly vision of power. Yeah. H- how many people, you know, when you think of all these stories, how many people went silent because they were worried that if I if I name the truth, the kingdom of God will somehow be hurt. You, you can't hurt God's advancing in this world. Mm. If if God's power is known in our weakness, we should not be afraid of naming the truth. And so this is where right away I recognized among these men what I've seen everywhere else in evangelicalism, quite honestly, which is a vision of power that thinks we need to get rid of our weaknesses. We need to hide every blemish. We need to promote our strengths. We need to show the world we we are where it's at. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately is what it's going to kind of drive Jesus's mission in this world. That's ultimately what's going to make it attractive. And deep down undergirding this, I think, is a very deep belief. And they actually said it out loud, which was astonishing. One of them did. Not, not all of them. But one of them said it out loud. Basically, this won't work. And I think, you know, one of the one of the things I see going on in folks who read our book and, you know, Jamin and I, for the last several years, people, pastors will reach out to us, parishioners will reach out to us. And it's interesting to hear the questions because a lot of the questions do kind of revolve around, okay, how do I make this work? Right, right. <laughs> and 
And, you know, there's there's a sense where sometimes I can see there's a sense where they just don't in the context they're in. They just don't know. I just don't know if I can kind of sell this, quote unquote. Like if I come to a staff meeting with this, <laughs> I'm going to be chased out of there. Yeah, right. right? Hey, I'm a lower level. Hey, everybody you know, embrace your weakness. That's right. right you right. know, and I told my head pastor this. He's going to come and run me. Other, I mean, I've had students tell me if I tell my pastor this, I'll get fired. <sighs> right. Um mm. What that worries me a bit less. Okay, that's one thing, and that's a hard position to be in. I don't want to, you know, don't want to undermine how hard that is. What worries me more is the people that are asking it, and what they're really asking is, yeah, I just don't see how this is a strategy to get things done, and that's what ministry is about. Yeah. And so, Jamin, I, I want to turn to you a little bit and just ask, kind of, you know, well, what what do you see kind of driving some of this, and how do you see this kind of playing itself out in, in the church? Yeah. Wow. Well, I I think you you actually I think named well probably the the two prevailing notions mm. that that I think show up a lot as people respond to this idea that power is known in weakness um, for the sake of love and you named both of them there as you were kind of sharing your story about interacting with that group of of elders and the first is that this notion that the ends justify the means yeah and th- this idea that as long as we have good ends in mind and, and maybe to really hone that and clarify that what what we don't mean is is necessarily that the, the end is to just have more money or have more notoriety or um, have more kind of prominence or have more resources in buildings. I mean, sometimes that might be the case, but I think oftentimes they are genuinely very good ends. We want Mm, to see people come to Christ. We want to see more people saved. Uh, We want to see um, um, our community impacted by um, the love and care of our church. And, you know, maybe the more, the, the, the larger we are, the more prominent we are, the more resources we'll have to be able to actually move into our community and bless and care for people who are in need. I mean, the, in other words, the ends could be very good, mm-hmm. very good. And can genuinely be oriented by that, which Christ has called his church to yeah, in yeah. faithfulness. And yet it's this belief that Jesus doesn't really care how we get there. <laughs> As long as we get there, right? And and or maybe he cares how we get there as long as we don't kind of commit the big sins, mm. right? And so, well, yeah, if the pastor commits adultery, we're probably gonna have to do something about that, you know. If um, there's some clear kind of abuse going on, well, we're probably gonna have to do something about that. If 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 money is stolen along the way from from the church fund to to go towards the pastor's own resources, even if the pastor's wanting to do something good with a book he might be coming out with or another ministry he's launching is probably not an appropriate way to, that's a clear line. Um, And yet, of course, the challenge of scripture here is um, things like selfish ambition and arrogance and envy are put right alongside all those more serious sins, (laughs) sexual, you know, infidelity or murder. And uh, the apostles consistently are, are putting the lesser sins we might consider to be justifiable ways of getting there alongside the things that we think are unjustifiable in getting there. Yeah. And and so I, I think I hear that, this kind of ends justify the means. And as long as we have good goals in mind, that genuinely is what Jesus is calling us to. It doesn't really matter how we get there. Maybe as long as we're not doing some real serious stuff, that's obviously wrong. Yeah. <laughs> the other one would be that I think you named it really well as well is that, you know, Jesus's power just doesn't work. Like if, if we're really being honest, I don't buy it. Mm. I, I know what power is. I know what it looks like and I know it's effect. And that's just not powerful. It's not going to get the job done. Yeah. And of course, get the job done again means um, we can see the effect, the impact. And um, it's going to be uh, uh, slow. It's going to be unproductive. Mm. And it's going to be inefficient. Mm. And, and th- those things in particular, I think, in, in our culture, North American culture, are um, are unquestionable vices. Yeah. And if you if you apply those words to any other kind of <laughs> domain or sector in our cultural's kind of our, our cultural economy, right? The business world or the um, academic world or whatever it may be, right? Um, politics. If we're talking about being um, slow to get things done, 
If we're talking about kind of being unproductive, you know, we don't have a lot to show for what we've really done that we could kind of say, see, look what we did. And if we're talking about being kind of inefficient, in other words, that, that kind of that process, uh, it's, it's taking too much time. It's, it's kind of clunky and we're, we're not really executing on our plan and we don't have the right people in place to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- these things are just, they are, they're the sins of our day. Yeah. And I think often, so often, uh, then the way that Jesus' uh, vision of power, his model of power, um, the way we experience that is I just, just doesn't work. Yeah. just doesn't work. And so, I, I mean, I think there's a lot that's driving that, um, a lot that's, that's maybe underneath that. And I, maybe I'm already beginning to name some of that. I, I think one is this kind of really cultural virtue, so to put it on the virtue side, of, of pragmatism. You know, um, we, we are a very pragmatic culture and, um, what do you have to show for it is maybe the prevailing question Mm. of our society. And, um, but, but in the end, did you make the product in the end? Did you turn a profit in the end? Did the business work out in the end? Did, did it grow in the end? Did you gain more customers? Right. In the end, um, are people satisfied with what you did or not? And we have ways of measuring that. And we have, we can, we can survey, we can, we can read the numbers in the books. Um, and so there's a, there's a, there's a pragmatism that I think really shows up here. And, 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 and that pragmatism drives how we measure success. We measure success in very worldly terms. And so to use your language of, of, um, by sight or by faith, we, we measure success in very worldly terms. And so the, the, the hidden things of the kingdom, Jesus very much wants to narrate for us the, the little, the, the least, the last. Mm-hmm. This kind of language is just—it's yeah. just not fitting for how we think about um, success. And so, I, I think that shows up here in some yeah. of this the ends justifying the means, and Jesus' model just not working to get us to those ends. And I, and I think also um, we we've defined success. Um, while, while maybe tied to some of those goals, those objectives, we define success in very worldly terms. And so the things I've already named, right? buildings, influence, stature, having a pastor that we can kind of brag about, I, what, whatever it might be, as our church on the map. Um, and what's so interesting, I think, Kyle, is so often these things, we use the language of fruit to describe them. Mm-hmm. Oh, our church is really producing fruit. Yeah. When, when Jesus actually is very restrictive <laughs> in what he means by fruits. And so we, we, we're defining success with this kind of very pragmatic um, grid up and running. And we're looking for success in very pragmatic terms and very, and very worldly terms. And, and we kind of can so easily tack on like, yeah, the, we'll look at, we're really producing fruit around here mm-hmm. when fruit is love. It's a work of the spirit and it's love. And we actually have a really good description of what that looks like in the New Testament, right? Uh, yeah. Patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness. And, um, but all that language, interestingly enough, not very pragmatic, mm. not very efficient. Patience and bearing with others. <laughs> I mean, shouldn't we just kind of like cut the fat or kind of get rid of the difficult people so we can streamline this thing and get moving. Mm. Wouldn't that be a lot more efficient? And wouldn't that help us achieve the goal? You see, as it turns out, the actual fruit we're supposed to produce runs contrary to the fruit we're trying to produce. Mm. And love just isn't efficient. It, it doesn't work that way. It's not mechanistic yeah. in that way. And then I think also probably lastly here is just pride, pride, right? Which I think uh, the, the tradition, I think, rightly interpreting scripture recognizes this is this is the kind of the um, you know the home plate starting point for us as we run around the basis <laughs> of vices. Mm-hmm. And this is where we start. The, the self curved in upon the self to to um, echo Augustine and echo Luther here. The, you know, the, the, the human person collapsed in upon themselves, their own resource, their own sense of capacity. Um, I, I'm going to look to myself to make life happen and, and uh, I'm going to achieve something here. Right. And I think so much of what we're commending by Jesus' way of power, so much of what's showing up here in the conversation with these elders is, yeah, but what about, what, what do we do? Yeah. What do we do? 
And uh, and no doubt a room full of men who maybe in other sectors of their life, and I don't I don't know them, but I can imagine, have been very successful in all the ways we've talked about mm. and have done a lot to achieve that and who are gifted and talented and competent and educated. And well, I mean, surely I've got to wield all that to get us where we need to go. I mean, why else would I be in the room? This is why I have a position of authority is I have something to bring to the table and the way I was successful over there, we can make this thing successful over here. Mm. And so I think how we understand the nature of true effective power in the kingdom, right? It shows up here and we just don't really believe apart from you, you can do nothing. Mm. We believe I can do a lot, yeah. actually. Hey, give me a shot. Let me run on it. And maybe the last thing I'll say here is I think sadly what what's actually showing up sometimes in this, and maybe and whether it showed up for this group or not, I don't know. But actually the objective of success, the goal actually becomes, Kyle, we want to be actually in a place where we don't need God. Yeah. We, we want to work really hard, get this thing run and right, as productive and as efficient as possible, get the right people in place, allocate our resources well, be strategic as we can be, so that we can get to a place where we can never be described as a people of weakness. Yeah. And we could never be described as a people who have any kind of dependency. Yeah. And God could look at us and say, well done, you arrived. Mm-hmm. You arrived. You got there. Yeah, yeah. Right. And of course, we know the biblical story for that quest, don't we? That's the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think what I hear in this, as you, as you share, as I hear that ends justify the means, power doesn't really work. I, I, I hear a pragmatism. I hear a real pride. And I, and I must confess, boy, that's stuff that showed up for me as a pastor. Yeah. You know, I, I, whew, pragmatism. Uh, let me just wield my personality here. Let me wield my intuition here. Let me, I got a better strategy. I think I know how to get us out of this, this challenge here. Um, I, so I, I speak it as one who knows it, but I, I wonder what else that maybe brings up for you. Where else you see this kind of showing up in the church, Christian life? Yeah. Well, you know, quickly there's a, the image that came to my mind when you were thinking, when you were talking about kind of the bearing fruit, I just think of when Jesus curses the fig tree Mm. as a prophetic judgment against the temple and saying it does not bear fruit. But you look at the temple and everything about the temple screams success. It was visibly spectacular. Look at these stones, master. Look at how big these stones are. These things were incredible. Wonders of the world. Like, this is amazing. Like, Mm. everything about it screamed blessing, we would say. Right. Um, and yet Jesus says, there's no fruit here and he curses it. And like that, you know, whatever we do, we have to always be, we have to always be aware that there's going to be a temptation to construct something that will be visibly spectacular. Yes. And faithless. Right. Shock, shocking to the disciples that what Jesus is saying is the temple has become the Tower of Babel. Yeah. The temple's yeah. become the Tower of Babel. It. And, it's going to come down. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that, I, you know, I I think these are the sorts of things we really, for, th- mm. for those people who are in positions of worldly power, that's the kind of things we really yes. meditate on, like the, the real possibility of that. You know, what I mentioned last week, and I want to come back to it this week because I didn't get a chance to really say much about it, but in terms of seeing this play itself out, mm. you know, one of the things that people will often raise questions, I hear this from my students all the time, I'll hear from pastors that read the book. They'll say, I just don't know what you're talking about with the spiritual gift stuff. Can you explain that to me? Huh. And I think what's interesting is, you know, when we grew up, so I grew up at Willow Creek. And when I grew up at Willow Creek, the buzzword, this is probably early 90s, the buzzword was spiritual gifts. Right? This is going to solve all, all right, our problems. Find your gift. Find your gift. Find your gift. Get in ministry, right? So, like, in one sense... It, it was the best of evangelicalism. It was everyone's called to minister. You don't have to be yeah. special. You don't have to ever. So in one sense, great. Priesthood of all believers. That's right. Yeah. yeah. The problem, though, is spiritual gifts were just natural abilities. Mm-hmm. So spiritual gifts in this sense were things you were good at. And so notice what happens. So we take a text primarily from 1 Corinthians 12, right? Paul writes to the Corinthian church to express their temptation to ministry that undermines the cross and seeks to find power in their strength instead of their weakness, like the Lord tells in 2 Corinthians. And we use that passage 
to get rid of our weakness and minister only in our strength. Mm. I mean, this is astonishing, but it's so ubiquitous. It's so just common sense now that when I point it out, I'll have pastors stare at me blankly like I'm doing alchemy or something like I'm just like a gibberish like yeah. they can't work their way around it and typically they say something like okay so if someone's good at something I shouldn't let them do it right we kind of go to the other the extreme, other extreme yeah right? they were kind of reaction formation totally theory, right? yeah yeah and so no that's not right at all so here's here's what, what I think is going on here we're always called in our weakness full stop like if you're called into anything in ministry it will be a calling into weakness because in part two, to pause here, to, because we are weak. That's right. Right. Yeah. Whether we want to identify it or acknowledge it is, is another question. Totally. But it, yeah. it's not a question of if you are weak. Yeah. You are. Yeah. There's creaturely weakness. And of course, we have a robust theology of sin here to say, and we have more to say about weakness than just creaturely weakness as well. In other words, not than just your kind of finitude and temporality as a human, than just maybe the, the things you're not as competent to add as a particular human being. Mm-hmm. Then we have a whole account of sin. So just to be clear about what we're saying here, it's not just, you know, maybe you're weak. Yeah, that's You right. are. Yeah, yeah no, there's, <laughs> I think there's three key things here. You are weak. Right. Right. That's one of them. Another would be because it's for love you're called in the weakness because love yes. is the kind of thing that calls us into to, to postures of weakness into relations of weakness. Um, but also you're called into the kingdom which functions in an economy that isn't of you and of your nature, right? You're called into what we used to call supernature, above nature. Uh, you're called into this sphere where the way that you wield power is only by receiving something that gets born in and through you. By the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, right? mm. and so we're, we're called into all of these. And so you might have, and I actually think more often than not, most of us are called into places where we have quite a lot of natural ability. And so part of what your weakness now is is your temptation, in fact, to think that all you're called here to do is to wield natural ability for supernatural ends. Mm-hmm. And so this is what's going on in First Corinthians. You have a bunch of gifted rhetoricians. Who are becoming Christians saying, now I'll be able to further the kingdom of God much better than Paul can, right? I am going to, I will show you what preaching is and I'm going to wow them. Well, that's a totally misguided view of what the kingdom is and what kingdom power is. But the temptation now, so like let's say you're a pastor and you just happen to have quite a lot of rhetorical ability. That's not bad, right? Your weakness is your constant temptation to rely upon yourself because you know full well you can wield that to get things done. That's right. What we aren't saying is, are you really bad at math? You should become an accountant <laughs> and really watch the Spirit of God. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> That's not what we're saying. Right. But things like that are possible. So Moses, who j- the only thing he knew about himself was, well, I just know I'll do anything for you, God, as long as I don't have to speak. Great. You're my mouthpiece. Right. Right. <laughs> like that might happen. And well, it is and, preferred and for you. Think of Peter and post-resurrection scene and Christ calling him yeah. to, you know, you're the rock and I'm <laughs> calling you to shepherd my people. And I'm asking you three times whether you love me. And I'm doing so to remind you that not long ago mm. you denied me three times yeah. and you were nowhere to be found at the cross. Yeah. Right. And so I, I'm calling you into your vocation explicitly in light of your weakness. Yeah. And I wanted to make very clear, it's not because, hey, we did your, your spiritual gifts inventory. <laughs> That's right. right. Yeah. And, I, and I just decided that totally. you of the bunch are like the best suited for this because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah. But I, I really am calling you to this in light of your weakness. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is, and I, I love you bring up Peter because Peter and Paul are an interesting comparison here. So you have Peter, the kind of uneducated one. Right. right. Who's, who is called to preach before the multitude. Yeah, yeah. But then you have Paul. Like, right away in Acts, we get him, right? That's yeah. right. And if it wasn't for Paul, we might think education was bad. That's right. right. Uh, now, you know, Jamie and I, we both have PhDs. And <laughs> I'm a professor. Like, like, Thank you, Lord, for Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, it's like, I, give, like, I work incredibly yeah. hard yeah. at my vocation yeah. because – I'm not pitting God's work against my work as if, oh, okay, so it's my, so I just sit back and I guess magically the words will come. It's like, no, I'm teaching a class. I, I'm, I'm got to give myself to this. But that 
it's not simply resting on my ability to master things. Well, and here, here's Paul in, in relating to that, right? It's it's rubbish. That's right. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him. That's like, right. I, you know, and that doesn't mean Paul's never using his training and education, That's right. yeah. ever wielding it or utilizing that in his writing and his preaching ministry. Mm-hmm. I mean, surely he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it means that he has a mode of relating to that. Yeah. To that which he has, the gifts, the capacities, the training, the skill sets, right? And there's a there's a way of relating to that in light of a deeper truth of his weakness, his yeah. utter dependence and need for Christ. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, and you know, I mean, let me share. Uh, uh, you know, uh, let me relate to that the story of my own a little bit because, you know, when I went to seminary, and I know this is true for you as well in many ways. Like, I kind of felt like, well, what's cool is I've got the best gifts. Right. So you know, I've got you know, yeah. teaching, leadership. So this yeah. is so I won the spiritual gifts test. I won that yeah. contest. Award. Right. I'm going to be the guy on stage. I'm where the action is. Yeah. And it was in seminary, really meditating on Jesus. You know, I was in, um, Jamie and I were doing our um, Masters in New Testament together. And so you're just confronted constantly when you read the New mm. Testament of this reality. And, you know, I had this moment where I realized that while in the kingdom of God, I do little things. I'm called to be a teacher, and in when people look at me through kind of worldly lenses, it looks like, wow, I, I've stepped into this elite branch, this ivy tower thing, This wow, this is where mm. a lot of action is. And I realized in the kingdom of God, I'm called to the small and little things, and that's okay. Like, I remember realizing, like, well, and that's my call. Like, I, I, I was excited about it initially because I thought, it is so meaningful and so important. It is important and it is necessary, but in the body of Christ, it is kind of remedial. Mm-hmm. And and that is precisely what leads us into the proper fruit of humility and kindness, where you kind of realize, no, it, it, it really troubles me when I go to churches and they treat me like, it's like me and the martyrs. You know, we're the yeah, ones doing the work. Yeah. Right? Like there's some there's some churches that get a little too excited about academics. Theologian has arrived. Yeah, like and He's it's written like a books, superhero. Yeah. And it, you know, it's it's where Paul, right, he's saying, No, there's other parts of the body that mm-hmm. we don't like to talk about. And guess what? That's those are the most significant. And I worry that the church we we've really struggled to make sense of that. We we you can tell a church that has to some degree bought into worldly power when they simply don't know what to do with that fact. And I think mm. all of us struggle with that, right? We all struggle with saying, right, that person, right? That, um, like, I remember I went to a church for a while that we did a, um, probably the, the, the church that did the best that I've ever been a part of with reaching out towards people with disabilities, both physical and mental disabilities. Mm. And, you know, one of the questions that was always upon us was, because it, it, it's not like that made a lot of strategic worldly sense, Sure. Right. Yeah, right. they're 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 not the elites in the community that through their influence may That's get right. more people to come to church or yeah. kind of get our church on the map within with the right circles. Yeah. Or, yeah. No, and they throw off things, right? Awkward moments during the service sure. where they just decide I'm going to stand up here and start saying stuff. I'm going to walk out or sure. I'm going to you know. Right. And, right. Yeah. Not know, so efficient and productive. No. Not sure. efficiency and productivity. Not great. <laughs> yeah. But I remember thinking like, no, but this is. This is the reality of the kingdom of God. And and mm. this is a mirror of, of the truth that we don't like to look. This is a mirror, particularly in the, in the modern West. We just do not like to look in. So in one sense, we have to have this. There's an entire economy around these things we have to make sense of about the spiritual gifts and how we judge them. So one problem is in judgment. But the other problem is, again, thinking that what I need to do is find something within myself that then I can determine how to how to advance that. And so if we think that these then just become natural gifts. Yeah. Whereas if we recognize that they're and, and you know, if you read read reread First Corinthians twelve and pay attention to how many times Paul says the word spirit. Yeah. Yeah. It's ad nauseum. Yeah. Like it's it's absurd actually. You get you it's hard to even read it out loud because it's like yeah. in the spirit, the same spirit, the spirit, the same spirit. And the emphasis is that these are in the spirit, not in you. They're things you're called into to embrace from without in your weakness. And that says nothing about whether or not you have natural abilities there. Now, again, should we, 
invite someone just because they have no natural abilities? No, that would be the opposite error, right? Like that. <laughs> but naturalists aren't determining these sorts of things. Yes. Um, again, what, I'm not going to ask someone to play the guitar in the worship band who's never touched a guitar before and just wait to see if the spirit shows up, right? Like there, there's two sides of this that we think is faithful. Well, I think I think maybe interesting kind of way to reflect on this a little bit, Kyle, is just thinking about. You know, I've, I've obviously been in ministry for a long time. I've been on both sides of the table of, of interviewing and being interviewed mm. yeah, for, yeah. for a pastoral position. Totally. And, yeah. you know, and then this would be true of any ministry position. But, um, do you know, do we find ourselves trying to figure out if this person is competent to do the job mm. exclusively while never finding out whether this person has an abiding prayer life? Mm. and can articulate a meaningful sense of relation to God, knowing yeah. God, um, never finding out whether this person actually is aware of their weaknesses and can articulate ways in which mm. they've come to know God's strength in those places meaningfully, meaningfully. Um, you know, we don't tend to ask those kinds of questions. Yeah, You don't talk to us about not, not okay. You've told us your strengths. Now tell us your weaknesses, so we know whether this will work. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But hey, talk to us about how you've come to know God's strength and your weakness. Talk to us about your life of prayer and how you experience God in prayer. Talk to us about um, how you've related to others uh, in ministry who have been challenging or whose weaknesses have been um, a disruption maybe even to how you do ministry and mm-hmm. the efficiency and productivity of ministry. And how do you relate to those people? How do you think about them in relation to the church and their calling? There's a whole host of questions here we might ask. And so again, it doesn't mean I don't want to find out, have you ever preached before? And might I hear yeah, it? Totally. Yeah. No, that's a great example. <laughs> you know, and yeah, like, yeah. can you rightly divide the word of God? And mm-hmm. is there a theological aptitude here that demonstrates wisdom? And you know, are you able to articulate the gospel in such a manner that actually is clearing, coherent. Totally. Uh, oh, yes, certainly we want to care about that. But interestingly enough, right, we, we can kind of only ask the questions on this side, so to speak, mm-hmm. the kind of competency yeah. and ability, and never really find out anything about this person's relation to God and awareness of their weakness and, and, and how they've come to experience God in that. And, I, and that's what I hear you kind of getting at. Is totally. It doesn't mean we don't ask the other questions. Yeah, yeah. But are we never asking the other questions? That's right, questions? yeah. Well, because it goes back to what we were talking about last episode where we, we, we have a tendency to pit God's action and our action against each other. Right. And so when the second we say these are found in God, not in you— we tend to jump to the opposite thing. Therefore, I don't need to work on anything. Therefore, and it's like that is not at all what we're saying. But it is important to recognize, I think, that when we when we think about the nature of our weakness, there are these different layers to it. One of which is, if if you like come to a task, like if I came to preaching and think, you know, I've got I've got a PhD in theology, I've got several Bible degrees, like I'm going to crush this, right? I I, mm. I know. Then I've misconstrued what preaching is. I've misconstrued what it means to proclaim the word of God. I need to, in a sense, everything I am doing. So whether I'm preaching, whether I'm teaching, whether I'm, you know, doing hospitality things, whether we're doing like all of it, like there's an impossibility that needs to be attached to it. Yes. Because these, this is, this is not, it's in a different economy. It's in the economy of the kingdom. Apart from him, we really can't do it. Yeah. And it, and the temptation, I'm always, you made this point earlier too, I'm always tempted by this. Like I'm always tempted to know, oh, I get this text to preach on. Great. I love this Yeah, text. I can like, do that. I'm going <laughs> like, to wow folks. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and quite honestly, it's not that hard to wow folks. Like, I mean, I think if one of the things we've realized with all the moral failures is you don't have to be a faithful Christian to wow people. Yes. Um, in fact, it actually points to probably a deeper problem that the desire to wow people um, points to a worldly view of power and a worldly view of constructing a self within your own power that is ultimately undoing, right? It's right. unraveling right. faithfulness. And so, you know, I, I wonder, as you kind of think about this, there's different ways to think about, you know, what does it mean to kind of think about success in ministry and even mm. enacting a spiritual gift or something. Like, how, do, how should we think about this? Like, what kind of language we should use? What kind of paradigms do we need to think about? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think as, as I think one of the things that could show up, maybe in particular for pastors who maybe hear this conversation is, well, you know, I maybe kind of like, a, I know where this is headed. These, <laughs> these are the guys that are like, we should never care that we ha- haven't done a baptism in five years. And why would we even count them? Mm, right. We yeah. should never ask the question, are more people getting saved? Do we see new people being welcomed to our church? Cause you know, numbers are evil. And, oh, and I, and I think yeah. what I would want to be really heard clearly here is that's not, it's not what I'm saying. Right. It's really a question of why are we paying attention to those things? In other words, well, and maybe just take a step back. What are we paying attention to mm-hmm. in the life of the church, right? And and why are we paying attention to it? What are we actually trying to ask in, in in observing something, whether it's baptisms, whether it's salvations, whether it's how many people come on a Sunday morning to a worship mm-hmm. service, whether it's what well, what whatever it may be, it's mm-hmm. impacting the community serving. And I think this is where I'd want to say. Um, Yes, we ought to be discerning and attentive to what's happening in the life of the church. Period. You know, I I I, uh, I want to know what's happening in a person's life, their walk with the Lord. Um, um, I also want to know what's happening interpersonally in relationships. That there's divisiveness in the church, and likewise, I want I want to know. Oh, we haven't done a baptism for a year. Mm. You know, I I I want to know. Um, what it. it it appears that quite a few members of the church perhaps have, have left in recent months. Mm. And I, I do want to know that. But again, the question is, well, why? Yeah, yeah. And I think what we're seeking to discern and pay attention to here is really, um, Lord, are, are we being faithful to what you have called us to, to everything we've been talking about? Yeah. Are we being faithful to abide in you that we might bear your fruits? And... Um, and so I, I don't want to disacknowledge things that are often considered, but it's really a question of what are we paying attention to and why? And so I also want to pay attention to other things, things that maybe we aren't commonly paying attention to, like um, are the marginalized, are the forgotten in our community n- recognized in our church and present? Are they welcome? Are they showing up? If not, why not? Mm-hmm. If they are here... Are they being centered or marginalized in the life of the church? Mm. You know, um, are we um, a church whose uh, mode of relating seems to be marked by that of humility and service rather than competition? Mm. And are we out? Are we trying to outdo one another in showing honor? As Paul said, one of my favorite yeah. passages. Right? There's only one way Christians compete: try to out honor each other, yeah. uh, try to out serve each other, try to out bless each other. Well. I do want to actually kind of discern or measure mm-hmm. that. But again, it's a different kind of thing. That means I got to know people. I got to have relationships with them. I, the elders of the church need to have relationships with them and know them, right? Mm-hmm. The, and so everything's on the table. Again, the question is, what are the things we're seeking to pay attention to? I think it puts cert- the question of seeking to be faithful rather than successful yeah. puts cert- puts different things on the map of consideration. It doesn't remove necessarily other things, but it puts different things on the map. And then secondly, it it gives me a different grid of discernment. What am I considering? Why am I paying attention to this? Am am I seeking to measure whether we've done a good enough job, whether my efforts accomplish something, whether we stack up to other churches, Mm, right? Well, okay, then we're in trouble, (laughs) right? Or am I seeking to pay attention? Lord, have we been faithful to you? Have we loved well here? Um, are we bearing your fruit? And in ministry, the task is to be faithful, not to be successful. Um, and if that rubs some the wrong way, I'll say it a different way that maybe mm-hmm. won't. Faithfulness is success. Yeah. Right? And so what I'm trying – what. What I don't do is just kind of say, well, I no longer pay attention to anything and just, you know, yeah. whatever God's going to do, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. oh, you mean no one's coming to worship anymore? I didn't even notice. Yeah, you yeah. mean we haven't baptized for five years? I just don't care about those kinds of things. Mm, yeah, yeah. Okay. But likewise, you mean the very people who are marginalized in our community are being marginalized at our church? Mm. Well, how do I know that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you mean yeah. the little children aren't viewed as a nuisance in worship but are welcomed? Well, how would I mm. know that? Yeah, yeah. Right. And so um, faithfulness is success. I want to pay attention to Lord, are we being faithful to your way, to this way that we've been talking about, this way of power? Yeah. And are we bearing real kingdom fruit here? And 
outcomes don't determine that sense of faithful. We can be very faithful and indeed have less people totally. here on a Sunday morning. Yeah. You know, equally, we could be faithful and have a lot more people coming. Totally. Um, we could be faithful and um, still have some places where there's there's disagreements in life at church because what I see going on is a pursuit of reconciliation in those mm. places. And that the fruit of love is showing up. People are actually pursuing one another in places of conflict with in, in postures of repentance and forgiveness. So in other words, what I don't look at my church and see is we no longer have any conflict. That's how I know we're doing okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. what I look and see is something different is going on there, Lord. There's a... I think we've been faithful here to really pursue your way, and that's showing up. And the Spirit is doing a work here that cannot be explained merely by my best efforts, by my strategy, by our efficiency, by the right hires, by our talents, right? So for me, the question is one of faithfulness rather than success, or to say it differently, that faithfulness is success. Because I think, goodness, if we applied the common ways of measuring success in a ministry mm. to the ministry of Jesus, yeah. he would be an absolute failure leading to the cross. Yeah. And so we have to ask, well, maybe, maybe, just maybe that means our common analysis of what makes for success isn't accurate. Because I don't think we want to say that about Jesus, <laughs> who keeps losing people along the way, all the way to mm-hmm. the end. I think what we want to go back and ask is, well, but was Jesus just kind of... Um, uh, being uh, kind of flippant with his ministry and didn't care mm-hmm. and didn't care that people ever walked away and didn't care about seeing people enter his kingdom. Well, no, that's certainly not the case. But what did Jesus seem to be concerned with? Faithfulness. Mm-hmm. I, I came to do the will of the Father. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's what I'm going to do. And we see it showing up in a myriad of very unexpected ways, right? And we see Peter and we see the other disciples like, but isn't this the path to success? Shouldn't we be seeing these things happening? No, no, you're, you're paying attention to the wrong thing. I, what we're seeking to, to be attentive to is what does it mean to be faithful to the will yeah. of the Father here? And so I, I think maybe the last thing I would say here about this, Kyle, this kind of taxonomy of faithfulness and success is, um, I, oh goodness, I think... This has been true in my own life, and I, I still have to grow here, but um, it has been meaningfully true in my life, and I would hope it would, would be in other pastors' lives that um, it, it, it alleviates the pressure. It, it, it isn't about me. It isn't up to me. And, boy, the, the worldly metrics of success and the ways of measuring that – and kind of stacking myself up against other pastors, other churches, yeah. um, or just measuring myself against prior success and quote failure in my church. Like that is a losing formula. I would say for most pastors, yeah, yeah. for most pastors that, that, that kind of schema of analysis, that kind of grid of how am I doing? You know, how do I score myself? Yeah. It equals failure. Yeah. Right? It equals failure. But I think if we can re, kind of re-envision and recast how we're measuring, what we're discerning, what we're considering, and why we're considering it. Now I think the question is about faithfulness. And now God's invitation is not, yeah, you better make something happen. Boy, that last strategy really didn't work out. Mm-hmm. What's your new plan? You know, go find someone else's model. Maybe the reason why their church exploded and yours didn't is you're just not doing that thing. Okay. Now it's, Lord, I... Now I get to return to you in my weakness, in the very weakness of my sense of failure in it. Yeah, yeah. And know that right here, in that very act of response, I am being faithful. Yeah. I'm doing the very thing you've called me to do. This is what success is. Lord, I need you. I need you here. Our people need you. And so I think it frees us up from the burden of having to build the church. It, that, that's Christ's yeah. task. Totally, and it, yeah. It invites us into a whole nother mode of relating to God in ministry where we get to really see, wow, look what God's doing. And it's not up to me. And isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Not wonderful. Well, I think how many, I mean, pastors, if you're not a pastor, you might not be aware of this, but I know of no other profession that is more inundated with fear-based marketing Oh, if yes. you don't get this, you'll be left behind. If you don't get this, your church won't work. If you don't come to our conference, if you don't get our magazine, if you don't, you know, it's just this constant pressure of you have to be this kind of thing. You have to, you have to be better than these kind of people. You have, you know, you have to, 
you know, the, the, the pressure is enormous. And, you know, the success stories are legion. Well, the success stories we all and, know. And here's very, what like, it looks like. Totally. And, yeah. and again, for the and, vast majority yeah. of pastors, that is not their ministry experience. That's so right. if that's what success is, then I am a failure. Yeah, yeah. But if we can move off of that onto what does it mean to be faithful? And now to attend to your church and to attend to all the parts of the life of your church with discernment, asking, Lord, Lord, how are you at work? And are we being faithful here to the work you've called us to in light of that? In light of who we are, the place we are, the people we are. Yeah. I I have a friend who, um, he, he felt called to leave. He was was a pastor for a while, felt called to kind of go to this other Christian organization. And right when he got there to kind of run it at the president, he realized the Lord called me here to shut this place down. Oh, wow. And it was like, you know, there were all these, there was a lot of history, a lot of people revered, like there was all this stuff attached to it. And it was so profound to watch how he did it because he shepherded faithfully all sorts of people mm. who were broken because of it, who are going to be, going to lose their job. Who are gonna, you know, it, it's interesting when you, when you look at that, like, it's actually easier because like there is no success at that point, right? Like I'm having to shut this thing down. Everyone's sad about it. It's it, it all just looks like a failure. How am I faithful to this process? Yes. And the problem is, I think a lot of us are still holding out hope. But maybe I can make this work. Maybe maybe we can still win. Maybe this can be a su- success story. This could be one of those success stories, and that's right. The you know I feel I feel bad for the people where it has worked in a sense. Because that that's a really hard place to see this, mm. but I think there's there's so many folks that feel like we're at the cusp of making this happen. We might do it. We might strike the lottery on this. We might win, and they they're all their hope is baked into this thing, and it, it it's it's the very thing keeping them from embracing freedom. Quite honestly, because it's debilitating. Mm. It's debilitating to think like, oh no, this is on my shoulders. I got to make it happen. And you know, you said something earlier that I, w- I wanted to comment. Then I just I want to send this back to you. I, I, last two episodes, I've ended with some questions. I want to give you the chance to do that too. But you know, one of the things that I, that struck me about I, I was this is probably about a year ago now. I was just sitting, kind of reflecting on my own kind of history in the faith and how I've grown in certain ways, some things I've struggled with over the years, and what the Lord has rescued me from, which is legion and. You know, there's a kind of image that came to my mind. You put it a little differently. So let me put it this way. Like, I, I worry that one of the things that's happened in evangelicalism, and I saw it happen in my life, is that we've come to believe the goal is to not have to have faith. Yeah. So the goal is to get to a point where living by faith isn't needed any longer. And, of course, no one is saying that. No one would ever out. Sure. No one would ever say that yeah. out loud. Right. But when you think about like, well, if only we can get to here, or if only we hit this number, or if only we have this amount of money, if only we get this building paid off, if only if like, and we get to these these points where, where really what we're saying is, man, can you imagine if we get to this point, we won't have to have faith any longer, because yeah. then we'll, we'll see it, we'll have we'll we'll have worldly security, and we won't have a weakness. We won't have any weaknesses to deal with. Yeah. We've we've eradicated those, and. You know, in many ways, as we've in this in this episode, as we've thought about, mm. like, well, what what does it look like to embrace this way? Mm. Well, how might it look like? You know, and you know, in in spiritual gifts are an interesting way to think about this. When we talk about faithfulness versus success and things, and there's when, when we think about like, well, what does it mean to live by faith? You you have to kind of hold that lens up to everything. Okay, I, I believe the Lord has called me into this area of gifting, right? What does it mean to live here by faith hmm. and not by sight? <laughs> and so what does faithfulness look like here? And how do I give myself to that? And and how does that, you know, how has scripture guided me to think about that? You know, and um, one of the things we, you know, Jamin mentioned, well, we really haven't told this story yet. We'll have to, at some point, we'll tell the story of a second edition. But we, we ended up writing a second edition of the book because one of the sages we interviewed turned out not to be a sage. And it turned out to, that he had lived a profound double life. Um, and had abused some women under his spiritual care. And um, and so we rewrote the book. We didn't want to just edit him out and pretend he never existed. We mm. wanted to wrestle through our own struggle. I mean, that was a very dark time for us. Um, we were devastated by this. This person was um, someone who really had, had profoundly impacted us. And so, um, but one, one as we kind of rewrote the book, one of the things that we came across, we're trying to think of ways scripture articulates the fruit of faithfulness. 
and the fruit of what what we call from James 3, the way from below, which is mm-hmm. the way in, in James 3, James articulates this way as the way of the world, the flesh and the devil. The world, the flesh and the devil all share one vision of power. Jesus, who has the way from above, is a different vision. And, you know, one of the things that surprised us both, I think, I think I can speak for us both here, is that Scripture often talks about the way we use our words as as being the signs of what of what way we come from. And so even when we think about faithfulness, like, you know, how we use our words on social media, how we use our words when we talk to to others in our care or others, you know, talk to our children, how we, you know, all of these things flow out of a certain vision of power mm. and they bear witness to it. And so when we think about like, like, have we adopted a vision that says, I don't have to worry about any of that part. The, the key is I've got to get to a place where I don't have to have faith because that means I've succeeded. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, as we, as we think about, you know, how, how to wrestle through this, some of those things are on my mind. So what, what do you, do you have any, like, you know, as we leave these yeah. five folks, do you have any thoughts, you know, what, what, what should they consider? Yeah, it's good, way? Kyle. It's good. It's great reflections. Yeah, I think it, it seems like one of the, the real threads we've been pulling on throughout our conversation is, this question of kind of success and faithfulness, and um, so I think the, the the maybe the primary question that really surfaces for me is, yeah, how have I kind of defined success in the Christian life? Because mm. I actually I actually do think we have a certain vision of what it means to kind of be a successful Christian, mm. um, having arrived at a, you know certain place of virtue or a certain kind of stature in the church or a certain mode of kind of ministry and maybe the way others view us, the way we experience ourselves. And then I, I think for those who are maybe, you know, are vocationally tied to to ministry, a, a job, pastor, ministry, or someone, someone on church staff, it's asking that question maybe with a, now with a little more vocational kind of specificity, which mm-hmm. is how we define success in ministry. And how, how is that definition of success, the kind of vision of what a successful Christian life would look like for me, a successful um, ministry would look like for me. How is that driving my day-to-day life? Mm-hmm. Um, how is that kind of telos ordering the way I live? And um, and, and, and I think maybe some, some attending questions to consider in that is if I find that I've I have embraced a vision of kind of worldly success that that requires a worldly power to be wielded. Well, what am I doing with my weaknesses? Am I just hiding them? If so, how how am I hiding them? If they if they're exposed even in a life of prayer with God, what what am I doing in those moments? Am I genuinely confessing sin, or am I kind of doing the the um, you know? rapid fire confession to get in and out so I don't really have to face mm. myself in the presence of God. Um, and and how how am I wielding maybe gifts and talents and abilities to get the job done in places where God is saying, I, I want you to learn what it means to abide in me right there, to come to know my power and your weakness. Because, of course, when we say we're called to faithfulness, what we mean is faithful to this way, faithful yeah. to him. Uh, faithful to abide in him, to um, meet him in the truth of our weakness and discover his strength. Mm-hmm. And um, what might it look like to to take up that way of faithfulness? Well, I think the place we've got to begin is, well, what is the way I really have embraced? And mm-hmm. what does it look like to reorient my definition of success along the lines of faithfulness, just as Jesus did in his ministry. Well, again, I think it's got to begin with, well, how have I oriented my understanding of life and in ministry? How, how have I defined success? So these are some questions I think that might be helpful for us to ponder. And and as we share these questions with you in the close of each of these podcasts, the questions we want to encourage you to ponder in the presence of God. These yeah. are questions for prayer. So thank you again for joining us for the Way of the Lamb podcast. It's been a joy to be with you. Thanks for being with us. We look forward to next time. 
Thank you for listening to the Way of the Lamb podcast, a resource of the Center for Christian Formation. For more information, go to christianform.org.